Let's do this. Welcome to episode 120 of In the Huddle on Can You Dig Sports Radio, the request line 1833-RADIO-BX. My name is Zach Kroll, along with my guy, The Real Will, and we are here today talking about the most interesting, the most polarizing, and the most fascinating topics in all of sports, and we have a loaded show for you guys today, and it's funny because when I looked at the calendar today, I saw it's July 21st, and it's crazy because usually that is a slow time in the sports calendar. This is the time where a lot of people in this industry will go on vacation. They'll take a break right before the start of football season and training camp, but that's not what we're going to be doing today. We have so much to talk about, and after a crazy NBA Finals game last night, we have some Aaron Rodgers stuff in the news to talk about. We are going to be continuing with our head coach power ranking list, and we're going to get into uh, the devastating injury to the Rams running back, Cam Akers. Loaded show today, and before we start off, I want to introduce my co-host, The Real World. Yo, you talk about vacations, Zach. I don't know if we're doing that over here on In the Huddle. Now, granted, sometimes we need a day or two during the week to cool us off and get us re-energized, but we don't do no vacations over here, man. Quarantine, we put out. I mean, college, we put out. Now we putting out. We just grindaholics. That's what we are. And I'm glad to be here to grind out another episode with you and our correspondent that we have here on the show, which is Isaiah. Zay, what's going on? How's it going, y'all? I mean, it was an interesting uh, game last night, and I'm um, looking forward to talking about it today. So let's get right into it. On that note, the Milwaukee Bucks, they win the NBA championship last night, their second in franchise history and their first since the year 1974. And after the Bucks win this series in six, the uh, thing we're going to have on the table today is just overall, what were you guys' takeaways and what were you guys' reactions? And for me, I actually wanted to start this one off. And maybe I'm just a sucker for a good story, man. Maybe that's just how this hit me. But, like, I have to say, watching the improvement of the Milwaukee Bucks and not only their star players, but their whole team and their depth throughout these playoffs have been phenomenal to watch. And I think last night was a culmination of just how great of a player Giannis Antetokounmpo was. You guys remember a couple years ago, 2019, he was forming with back-to-back MVPs. He was 24-year-old, playing phenomenal, putting up great numbers. And there were people starting to have that conversation when the Bucks were up 2-0 in that series against the Raptors. Like, is Giannis about to take that crown from LeBron? Is he about to be the best player in the world? And I think in these playoffs, more specifically in the NBA Finals, his game has just matured so much and his knowledge of his strength of his own game have improved and matured so much and he deserves all the credit in the world for that. I mean, guys, that performance last night, 50 points, 15 of 17 from the free throw line, eight rebounds, that tells me all I need to know. This guy was willing to work and improve on his craft and it's funny, Will, because I remember sitting on the show a couple weeks ago, we had a under the radar debate. I don't even know if it was a debate. It was just a little question who should we be rooting for in these finals Chris Paul or Giannis I remember this conversation we had and I don't think it occurred to me back then just how easy it is to root for this guy especially when he is playing on this level right now and when you also consider the fact that in the NBA we always talk about super teams and how much we think or and a lot of other people think they could have ruined the league over the last couple years you know I I love the sport of basketball but when the Warriors were out here running things like it wasn't great for the NBA and now Giannis proves that if you commit to one place and if you build around you're one star properly and develop that star and you do everything right, you could win a championship no matter where you are. And for the Bucks, man, 
It's never easy to win an NBA championship. And for me, I think that's why they won last night, and that's why they won this series. This is a team that has been through adversity these whole playoffs, and they never gave up. Down 2-0 to Brooklyn. I'll admit, I thought they were cooked after that. But at the same time, they find one thing go their way. James Harden's banged up, Kyrie Irving's hurt, and they just run with it. In the Hawks series, they lose game one. Very discouraging effort. Come back and win. And then there weren't many people that had them beating the Suns after they were down 2-0. But I did say, the Suns' lack of depth haunted them in this series. The loss of Dario Sarge, Torrey Craig not being 100%. And when you combine that with their youth... I mean, it was it was no real question for me. The Bucks were clearly the better team. I'm so happy for Giannis and what a player he is. What a series. I just want to add on to that real quickly here. I'm about the super teams and the notion that super teams won the league. I have something to say. Look, you know what? When we had that debate that we had about who deserves the finals more, which what is better, you know, long term, it was Giannis off the rip. And that's why I sitting here, even though I was rooting for CP3, I sat down and I watched that whole ceremony. I watched Giannis sit there on that bench, take some time to himself and get all that, you know, take all that in. And the reason why is because I knew for the betterment of the league going forward, this was the right thing that happened last night. In the era of super teams, when you have guys that want to take the easy way out, I don't, I don't know how Kevin Durant goes to the Warriors wins the championship, and he's fulfilled. I don't know how LeBron James goes to Miami Heat and plays with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and that team that they had around and, and is fulfilled. I don't know. I, I just don't know how you take the easy way out and that's fulfilling to you, no matter if you're accepted by the media. But when you work hard, when you say, I'm going to be loyal, and it pays off, that has to be a better feeling knowing that you went through all the adversity that you went through since the last couple of playoff runs that you failed as a player in Giannis and as a team. So right here, this has to be a great feeling for Giannis and anybody in the sports world should be bowing down to the Greek freak because number one, you know what I noticed, Zach? I, I peep a lot of stuff. I'm one of the people that I like to call myself very observant. That's one of my traits. And I see when other champions, or other superstars win championships, we, you know, from the other plays, everybody's celebrating. Go ahead, buddy. But where is the love at for Giannis? I, I, I saw KD came out a little bit, you know, do, you know, do some congratulations over there. But not a lot of players are congratulating Giannis. And it's almost like Giannis just showed y'all right in y'all face, and y'all just mad because he wanted the right way. But anyway, as I get to this game right now, you know what I didn't notice? I didn't know Giannis had so many sons. And so many sons had father Giannis because he just sunned the sons, literally, right? When you think about how this guy just said, you know what? I'm going to make a conservative effort to attack the paint. Nobody's going to stop me. Aiden looked like a scared little boy on the floor yesterday. Was not willing to commit to taking charges. Giannis had all the angles on DeAndre Aiden. Take a charge. I mean, come on now. This dude was out here running away from contact. It was almost like he didn't want to catch the cooties. This brother was running all over the place, right? They got him out of there. They made him irrelevant. Frank Kaminsky had to come in the game and give some valuable minutes for that Suns team. Giannis just said, you know what? I'm the best player on the floor. I'm one of the best players top two right now 
in the league. I'm going to take over this game, and I'm going to get to the paint, and y'all not going to do anything about it. Y'all are going to foul me, or I'm going to make a shot. Oh, by the way, I'm going to make 17 free throws and do something that I really don't do. That's why the Bucks, excuse me, right now is your NBA champions. I wanted to add on to, uh, you know, you said about the homegrown talent. I actually wanted to add Steph Curry into that, that mix because, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, the – Drafting of Thompson, the drafting of Barnes, and the combination of a couple other players that James Harden, all them people. Yeah, you know, I think I feel like Curry should be part of that homegrown mix that won a championship. And you know, Golden State, you know, they was all raised and developed together on that team, and you know, they they evidently evidently won a championship later on. You know, even with the injuries by the Cavs, but we all know that Giannis Antetokounmpo stat line is definitely one of the most polarizing, most interesting, and more fascinating stat lines of all. The most of the finals that we've seen in a while, you know. Um, 50 points. You can't, you can't, um, deny his talent. And that brother scored 50 for a closeout game, you know. We, the same way we congratulated Chris Paul's um, 42-point um, efforts against the Clippers, we have to congratulate Giannis because he was unguardable. Um, people said he lacked free throw shooting. He shot 17 for 19 from the free throw. He was lights out from the free throw line, you know. He did, he did everything they needed to do. He got the blocks, he got the rebounds, he got the points. He didn't really need to distribute the ball because no one was guarding him. Like, essentially... Uh, DeAndre Ayn was a hollow shell. He just ran right through him and dunked the ball anytime he wanted. Like, he just went through him every time. And uh, like Zach alluded to, very young team um, that, from lack of depth to, to the, the star players. You know, like I, I've been critical about Devin Booker, you know, last couple of games. I said he needs to be more of a facilitator, get his teammates involved because him getting 40 points a game when they were losing, that's a, that's a clear sign that the team needs to be involved. You would get 40 points, but if they're shutting out the rest of the team, there's nothing you could do. There's no way you could win that game. You know, and we look at Giannis, who had 50 points, but the rest of the team seemed like they weren't doing much. But the rest of the team was actually still developed scoring points. Bobby Porter's came up the bench, scored 16, you know. And that's somebody you don't expect to score 16, but he's going to give you... He deported did amazing, you know. Shout out to the former Nick, <laughs> but uh, he did amazing. And um, the lack of depth, and it's, it's you know daunting because the bench collectively for the Suns only played 39 minutes. And I felt like Cameron Payne played really well. At one point, he had 10 points in six minutes played, and he I felt like he should deserve to be on the floor more. I feel like Frank Kaminsky was showing some some um fight in him when he was scoring some baskets in the paint, and then you know um. Monty Williams decided to take him out early as well. And, you know, Torrey Craig only played 48 seconds. That is shocking to say the least. You know, he was someone that was uh, seemed essential for the Suns the entire season. It seems like the Suns just ditched their whole um, blueprint that they had this entire season of team basketball and relied on isolation and basketball once they went up 2-0. It, it was it's surprising because I don't understand why they just said, hey, we're going to go back to isolation play when – they were playing team basketball the entire season, it seemed like. And then when they come into this this finals appearance, it seemed like they just threw away. I think that's credit to the Bucks, man. Like, their length and their defense really helped them in the series. The amount of turnovers they were able to force, especially that one in Game 4, man. Giannis picking the ball from CP3. That play right there really changed the series. The Suns should have been up 3-1. They were the better team in Game 4. And still, that's why this Bucks story, to me, is so incredible. Kevin Durant, we know his shoe size. If it's one inch smaller, the Bucks are nowhere 
uh, to be found in this situation right now. And one other uh, response I wanted to bring to Will. I totally agree when he said Giannis literally went on the floor last night and said, okay, no one is beating me. I went on this show 48 hours ago and called out the Bucks. I was like, guys, great job in game five. It was one of the best NBA Finals comebacks I've ever seen. But at the same time, guess what? It means nothing if you can't close these guys out in game six because it's going to be very hard for you to go to game seven in Phoenix and win again. And what happened? Giannis went into the game with that same exact attitude, that same exact mindset. And he knew DeAndre Ayton was really the Suns' only option, and he couldn't even stop him himself. They, if, if, they could play Frank Kaminsky all they want. Eventually, that wasn't going to do much. Giannis was unstoppable. And once again, like watching this guy uh, from the, you know, really the start of his career and how much he's improved and how much he's gotten better, how much he's developed. And there have been plenty of people, once again, including myself, that have had their flaws. But when you combine the level he raised his game to, especially after the injury, the reason why everyone was picking the Suns mostly before the series started, because they didn't even know if Giannis was going to be healthy or not. We watched that devastating injury against the Hawks. We thought he might have been over. We thought it might have been done. And that's why I think the Bucks deserve so much credit. Giannis gets hurt in that uh, game five against the Hawks. They come back in game six on the road. Middleton and Holiday step up when their teammates needed them to do it the most. The Bucks just a full team effort these playoffs. And they are just such a worthy champion to me, man. It's not easy. And they did everything they could to respond to adversity. Yeah, it's a great story and a great team. Credit to the NBA schedule makers. They the ones that roll out these 82, you know, game schedules. Or it was shortened this year. So when you have a long season, so many things could happen in a long season. You could be struggling one moment. You could be playing good all year like the Suns and struggling at one point like the Bucks. And then you still find your way through this long season to regroup. Mike Boonehoser could have lost his job if Kevin Durant's shoe size was lost. There's so many things could have went wrong for the Bucks going into next year. But, you know, you have a long season. You have opportunities to rebound from it. And that's exactly why the Bucks are champs. But also, I want to say this. The the, pre- the premise of the Bucks offense stayed the same throughout the whole year. Um, when you talk about the spacing with Giannis and the three or four um, guys that you have, perimeter shooters or whatever. But one thing they did this year, especially in the playoffs, was, you know what? We're going to attack the offensive glass as well. We're going to make sure we get these rebounds, you know? It wasn't going to be drop-back coverage with Lopez like it was last year. It was going to be more switching and picking rolls. So that's exactly what they did during the playoffs. So that has to be credited to Mike Boonehoser. Yeah, he didn't throw away his full, you know, game plan, but he tweaked some things, He and he just said, you know, we're going to do what we do better, and that's what we're going to do. And um, you got to credit the Bucks in that regards. Look, when you talk about the Bucks, they collected 79 offensive rebounds compared to the Suns' 42 offensive rebounds. So you dominate the paint. You're making your shots in the finals. You were struggling all playoffs. So when you add all of that, plus you have the best player on the floor who is putting up historic numbers, you're bound to win this championship. And that's why they won this championship. And if you're the Suns, this has to hurt. There's no excuses. I know the Bucks are the better team, but you should have won this series. There's no way you go up 2-0 when you don't win another series, especially when all the games are pretty much close and unreachable. Well, can I ask you something? Um, I know you picked the Suns to win last night. When, were you surprised looking back that they were not able to respond after the two devastating losses in game four and five? Because that's when it kind of hit me. When the Suns were really verges minutes away from winning game four, and then they come out in game five and completely choke that game away, did you really have any expectations at any time last night that they would be able to pull it out at all? Or like, what, were, what was your vibe throughout the game? I mean, my vibe throughout the game was I was getting ready to share my posts. I thought that we had this game in lock. 
you know, they was up. We was up at halftime. We weathered the early, early storm. We was down by oh, over 10 points, and we narrowed the gap and took the lead. So everything was fine for that first half, and I was getting ready to share my post. Caption, Lil Shadamas in effect. But unfortunately, Giannis just ruined my plans and ruined the Suns' plans. And he just took over the game. It's just that simple. They had no answer for Giannis. If Aiden could have stepped there and draw some fouls, listen, CP3 could have done what Giannis did in the sense that that mid-range game was there. He could have took that shot every single time if he wanted to. Giannis was like, I know I can get to the basket every single time I want to. And he wanted it more than CP3. CP3 had that shot. He didn't take it. So at the end of the day, man, it falls on CP3. It falls on Devin Booker. It falls on the whole Suns team. Yeah, I think, once again, it really just shows you how important playoff experience is. And I totally understand, like, Chris Paul his value like he didn't play great last night and with that being said the suns really had no shot to win because besides chris paul this team is full of good players but young players that do not have the experience and when you look at the bucks on the other side they have a coach that has been through these wars as an assistant with greg popovich in san antonio and then the players on that team middleton Giannis, how they have some playoff experience as well that core Brooke Lopez, like those core group of guys have been together. They've been through the wars. And I think in not only basketball, but any sport, sometimes that's what it takes. It's not easy to win a championship. You have to go through some adversity. You have to go through that feeling like, wow, it's really not as it's, it's I knew it was hard, but I didn't know it was this hard. I didn't know it was this hard of a grind. And I think for the Suns, it's disappointing, but at the same time, we're going to get it, uh, into it later in the show what their plans for the future are. But I think they should hold their hands up high, their heads up high. They had a great season, and I know it's hard to say that now, but considering their expectations, considering how many young players they have on their team, it was a really good season for the Suns. I really believe that. And I, um, I want to say, like, the last couple games, you know, and I, I, I've been critical about this. Devin Booker has been, you know, playing poor the last couple games. And I, I have to say the same for, you know, CP3. Um, but the numbers are not going to show CP3 was playing poorly. But we see on the floor, it was a different CP3 than the first two games. Um, but Devin Booker, you know, he, um, the first two games, he shot 8 for 20 from the three-point line. The next four, he shot 3 for 21. That's horrendous. And then after that, he, um, the first two games, he had 12 assists. The next, the last four games, he had 12 assists, you know, combined. After the first two, he had 12. And then he had 13 turnovers in the last four games. You know, the, and the turnovers are killer. We all said that. We all are highly critical of Chris Paul's turnovers. But, you know, Devin Booker and Chris Paul combined for 40 turnovers, you know, for the, for the series. And these are people that need to take care of the ball. And um, despite Devin Booker getting the 40 points, the outside shooting was what really hurt him. You know, they needed those outside shooting. And they neglected Michael Bridges for, a better, I think, the better part of the last four games. They, they just decided not to pass on the ball. Meanwhile, he shot 53% from the field in the series and 43 from the three-point line. I felt like he needed to be more involved. I felt like he was a big uh, a big key of what he, they were doing throughout the season. You know, he had a lot of big baskets. And um, I just felt like they, they should have incorporated him more. And then, like, the disappearing act of DeAndre Ayn was shocking, to say the least. You know, after the first game, you thought he would be a presence on the court. Yeah, everyone was, uh, you know, complimenting him, saying how – Big, how big he was on, on the court, how he was doing. Monty Williams bigging him up. He just, like, disappeared as each game went on. And I don't know if it was because the um the aggressive nature of how the Bucks were playing. They are playing more, you know, grind grind out basketball. And we're, we're going to box you out. We're going to put two, three guys on you. We're going to make sure we have a body on you no matter what. But it was like a, it was it was just a strange how the Suns just disappeared, you know. Every, like Lil said, every game they were in, like, every seemed like every game they were in it. And then they just lost it themselves. So hopefully that experience you know, um, toughs them up for next season and the seasons to come. I also want to say this, man. Um, when it comes to CP3, man, look, 
I had to do it. Bring that ass here, boy. Bring that. You and Aiden, bring bring your asses here, boy. I already kind of like touched on Aiden before, but it's just unfortunate that you have a guy that was a former number one overall pick, a guy that's talented. We all know he has the physical gifts to be successful. He needs to almost be like Ben Simmons in this asset of learning how to, you know, take charges and, and do something defensively, you know, go in the gym and, and, and try to work on your, your game in that essence because he was playing good. Don't get me wrong. He's playing good throughout the whole year and in the playoffs. But stuff like this, this you have to learn how to take fouls. You're the big man. You have to get to the line. You know, you have to and get the other teams in foul trouble. That's exactly what you have to do. CP3 was too concerned with other stuff that had no overall impact on his game. Listen, I'm not buying that Scott Foster thing. Look, yeah, you may have been 0-12 or whatever he lost um under when he was co- when he was refereeing. But at the same time, brother, you have to focus on the game. You cannot be focusing on who's refereeing the game. Even yesterday, there was a play where there was an out-of-bounds play, and he tried to go towards Scott Foster, and Bobby Porter's had to stand in the way. So it's like you have to be concerned with what you can control, which is your game, which is your offensive game, and your mid-range shot and getting other guys involved. And I just thought CP3, just his body language. Am I the only one who noticed it? From game one of the NBA Finals, his brother was looking like a kid that got his lunch stolen. I mean, his facial expressions. Like, come on, brother, cheer up. Show that killer instinct. Show that mean mug. Not that, mm-hmm. like, come on. Like, come on. That, that really upset me with CP3. Because if he had that killer instinct, there'd be champs right now. Yeah, I think, once again, it really just shows, like, as much as we love the Suns and as great as a, of a team they were, the head of the snake is CP3. And Isaiah mentioned him mentioned it uh, himself. Like, part of what caused the Suns in this series was the fact that all of a sudden they started playing a lot of, like, isolation basketball, something that they really didn't do throughout the whole season. And that just shows how important CP3 and the way he facilitates and the way he runs the offense was important to this Phoenix Sun team because we saw them play when he wasn't playing well. Like, they didn't really look like a team that deserved to be in the spot to begin with. That's how much he affected uh, their rhythm on offense. So, once again, and he's the leader. Exactly. He's the leader. Exactly. You've been there before. You've been in the playoffs before. These cats have not been to the playoffs. You and Jay Crowder obviously has the playoff experience. You you have to take charge. You can you know what I'm saying? Because even though we can sit here and say Devin Booker was, was ball hogging, which I can attest to, he was ball hogging. But I noticed on plays and I counted it in my head. I forgot how much, but it was times where CP3 had the ball and he deferred. So if you have the ball and you deferring. Of course, I mean, Devin Booker is Devin Booker. He's going to take that shot. So at the end of the day, when you get the ball, make a play. If you're deferring it, I mean, chances are you ain't going to get that ball back the way how y'all was moving. So he had to take over that game. But that's, that's the issue, I think, what it was. I mean, I think because even in the beginning of the – um, I think when they won the first two games, Chris Paul had an interview, I think, a uh, uh, post-game interview saying, you know, on this team, we, we, we uh, pass up the good shot for a great shot. And it seemed like – um, Devin Booker's mind, he was like, all right, I'm going to pass up the good shot for a terrible shot, and I'm going to just keep shooting until I make it. And that's kind of how it was because those shots, those um, possessions where Devin Booker would take the uh, pull-up three-pointer with 19 seconds left on the shot clock, and no one's back. There was a play last night where he could have threw the alley-oop to Michael Bridges, and he pulled the ball back at the three-point line. And I'm like, that. well, you, you need to get catch the lead. You're like, why wouldn't you throw the alley-oop on a small defender? Michael Bridges could jump. He's athletic. Let him go up and get that ball. He has a seven, I think a seven-foot, seven-two wingspan. Something like that. Let him go up and get that ball. He could jump and get it. It, it just—I don't know, man. I mean, hopefully they, they it could get corrected during the Olympics and throughout the next season and stuff like that. But it's, it's a lot of like IQ plays that the the Suns just collapsing in his second half, like the last four games. 
And it, it just like completely like isolation basketball, not knowing when to make the right pass, not knowing when to foul, not knowing who to foul. Not like it just it's just all over the place. I didn't get it. I got my last point here and I'm done with this topic pretty much until we come back to the topic dealing with the Suns. Um, Mike Tyson has that famous line. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And you talk about the Suns' ball movement throughout the regular season, throughout the playoffs. Once they got punched in the mouth with Drew Holiday's defense, with the defense of that whole Bucks team, P.J. Tucker, once they got punched in the mouth, that game plan, sharing the ball, went out the window. It became ISO. And that's just what it is. So more credit has to go with the Bucks. I didn't think the Suns just automatically want to drop their play they playbook. But once they got punched in the mouth, they started sputtering. And that's exactly what happened. But um, shout out to Coach Monty Williams for going into that locker room of the Bucks and, you know, giving them their congratulations. That, that shows me a lot. That tells me a guy who's matured, who life matured that brother, who been through a lot, obviously, with his wife. That, that's a sign of growth. That's a sign of courage. And shout out to that brother for doing that class act from that guy, Monty. Yeah, Martin. just want to say I totally agree on the holiday point. I think, once again, what made the Suns so successful in their Clipper series, like I thought Patrick Beverly was going to at least limit Chris Paul, at least contain him from dropping 40. And unfortunately, he couldn't do that. That's one of the main reasons why the Suns were able to win that series. And in games one and two, Drew Holiday, even his defense, it wasn't great. But obviously that changed uh, later on. And uh, once again, congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks on their second title in franchise history. So boys, we'll be moving on to the next segment of today's show. And let's jump right into it. The NFL and a topic that never seems to leave in the huddle. Aaron Rodgers is back in the news as it was reported by Adam Schefter yesterday that he turned down a lucrative contract extension which would have made him the highest paid player in the NFL and the question we have on the table today is it time to envision the end for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay well my guy I'll throw it over to you to start this one off um I would say this thank you Aaron Rodgers for giving something giving something for the media to talk about including ourselves just like last year was the MJ documentary in a time where the world was shut down due to COVID, this year, it's Aaron Rodgers' fiasco with Green Bay. So thank you. I really appreciate it. It keeps my day easier having stuff to talk about. And another thing I want to congratulate you on is having your ring. Your, your, um, you was a minority stake in the Bucks. So since we just talked about the Bucks, congratulations for having a ring that may be your last ring, depending on what happens going forward so i just want to congratulate you with that but with that being said back to this question look um this is tough are we going to sit here if aaron Rodgers goes back to the green bay packers or are they going to sit there and act like none of this ever happened even if even if hypothetically he comes back none of this never happened none of the beef none of the animosity None of that never happened. We can just gonna go there back to business. Everything is gonna be landy and dandy in the NFC North. I don't know. So in this instance, where we talk about is Aaron Rodgers gonna come back to Green Bay? Possibly. I think so. If I was a better man, but I'm not gonna bet no money on that because I'm not trying to be broke. Depending on Aaron Rodgers. But what I can tell you is that even if he does come back, what I mean, are we gonna pencil in the the package to win the NFC North? They probably will because the NFC North is the NFC North. But going forward. With all this right now going on, 
I just find it hard to believe they're just gonna be one big happy family after you know Aaron Rodgers returns with the stunt that he pulled. I think that he's dragging it too long. When is enough enough? It's enough. All right, we get it. They haven't looked out for you in the way that you wanted them to look out for you, right? They obviously didn't give you all the talent that you so desired for. But at the end of the day, when I look at this roster top to bottom, this is a team that can compete and get to a Super Bowl. So I'm not feeling sorry for you. I'm not feeling sorry for the Packers. Both sides are equally wrong because the Packers decided that they was going to draft your successor instead of your protector. And we all know that, right? Okay, cool. But if you're going to do that, make sure that, number one, Aaron Rodgers is on board with that. Make sure. Have a dialogue, right? Because I don't, I'm not against that. They did what they had to do. They just like the Patriots. We build for the future while winning games today. That's exactly how the Patriots won. And that's exactly how the Packers won. When they won the Super Bowl, they had Aaron Rodgers. When did they get Aaron Rodgers? When Brad Favre was their quarterback. So at the end of the day, the Packers was doing what they normally do. Aaron Rodgers feels like I am the MVP. Y'all don't need nobody but me and some toys that I can throw to. And it's a bunch of egos. And that's why we are in the predicament that we are in today. Yeah, so a couple things to respond to that. I will say that I agree with you 100% that if Aaron Rodgers does come back to the Packers, it's obviously not going to be normal. There's obviously going to be tons of tension in the room. But what I will also say is this. The one thing I think the Packers kind of have as a saving grace is that as of the last two years, Aaron Rodgers and Coach LaFleur have been on the same page. We've obviously both have really liked how Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, they come in together, and this offense has been really good. And last year, that offense was taken to a completely other level. We have seen plenty of times in sports, right? We just, well, you just mentioned the Jordan documentary. Michael Jordan and Jerry Krause, those two guys hated each other. But meanwhile, on the side, when you're a player and you're, you don't really have to deal with your GM that much if you don't want to. If Aaron Rodgers makes it a priority not to just not to deal with Brian Gutekunst, like, fine, by all means, do that. But the question I have is this. Uh, I also agree that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Packer this season. It really is the only logical option for him to do unless he retires. I don't see him getting traded at least before the season starts. So I think if you're Aaron Rodgers, right, you have to sit back and say, look, Okay, a lot of people, right or wrong, have been on my case about the fact that I haven't been uh, happy in Green Bay. And even considering the season he had last year in adversity in that game against Tampa Bay, he couldn't get the job done. And I remember as great of a season as he had last year coming on this show and ripping that dude to shreds for not putting the team on his back in the biggest moment in the NFC Championship game. I think that he has to go into this season and say, look, enough's enough. I hate the Packers. That's not going to change. But what am I going to do? I'm putting this team on my back and leading them to a Super Bowl. The problem is, I just don't know if he's built like that. This guy has never been able to really respond from adversity before. And I've been on the side of saying, look, I kind of understand where Aaron Rodgers is coming from. What makes successful organizations so good is everyone is on the same page. A quarterback like Tom Brady, we know that he had a lot to do with what weapons were coming in and who were they were paying and the amount of money. He literally said, I'll be willing to take less money. And that's what makes him so great. But I just like how the Patriots literally said, they looked at their star quarterback and said, you are a franchise. We're going to do whatever it takes for us to win with you. And I've been on the side once again, Jordan Love. I mean, 
I didn't blame the Packers 100% for drafting him just because after the season Aaron Rodgers had, um, you know, he was looking like he was on the decline a little bit. But the Packers have to realize right now, I mean, it's not a great look. When this report comes out, they're offering Aaron Rodgers this mega contract to be their quarterback for the next five years. Didn't you just trade up to draft a quarterback in the first round last year? What does that tell me about the way Jordan Love has looked at camp so far? Not very good, which is not a good sign. So I think if you're the Packers, like, you're kind of screwed if you don't get a championship this year with this guy, which is why my focus, if I'm a Green Bay Packer um, worker or front office, you have to go all in this year because it might just be the last season Aaron Rodgers has. And, you know, it's not going to be easy, obviously. But at the same time, in that Jordan documentary, we saw Michael Jordan, Jerry Krause, they hated each other. They were still able to win championships. I think if this guy wants it, he is good enough to put his team on his back and say, look, enough's enough. I'm leading you guys to the Super Bowl. Let's get it done. I agree. I mean, I agree with both of what you just said, Zach. You know, this it's like you know, being what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. He's, he's just like, you know, at this point, he's just doing things just to see what the media is going to react. That's how I feel because at this point, we don't know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. As we all know, he's a competitor, you know, at first, and he's more than likely going to play this season. But as you alluded to, I mean, compared to the Jordan documentary, it seems like Rodgers and the owner do not like each other. They don't like each other a lot, you know, and the owner, I guess, doesn't, I mean, I guess the owner's disdain for Rodgers oversees how talented Aaron Rodgers is as a quarterback and how important he is to that Green Bay organization. Um... This may be the last season Aaron Rodgers plays in a, uh, on a Green Bay, and this may be the final season of his career. You know, if they, if he wins a ring, it could be a swan song. You know, I said that about Chris Paul too. If he wins a ring, it'll be a swan song. He's gone, but you know, I just like, it, it might just be that because Aaron Rodgers does decide to leave. Of course, any team will want to pick him up, and it's clearly not about the money because he would have been the most lucrative um, player in the NFL if he was signed that contract. And but um. Some I think the owners are not realizing that it's not about money. You know, money can't fix all the issues that we have amongst each other and what what you've been doing to me. I guess I'm mean, I'm talking in Aaron Rodgers sense. What you're doing to Aaron Rodgers in sense. So like you can't just throw a couple of dollars at me and think yeah okay you, I know you feel better now. Like no, that's not how it works. So you know hopefully he comes back this season and he plays or he might just sit out. We we still don't know what he's gonna do. I feel like he's gonna play, but we still don't know. Look, I would just say this. You talk about how the GM and the front office need to realize that they need Aaron Rodgers. I can argue back on the other flip side that Aaron Rodgers should know that the, he needs the Packers because, number one, if you ask for a trade, you're not going to – they could trade you whatever the hell they want to trade you. So if they trade you to a team that obviously need a quarterback that's not a good team, then, I mean, come on. So both sides need each other. If you're Aaron Rodgers, you have one of the best coaches in the league. We won't get into our coaching list um, after this topic. You have one of the best coaches in the league in Matt LaFleur. You have a good team, a good roster. You need the Packers. And if you're the Packers, you need Aaron Rodgers to complete that good roster that you have. So both guys or both sides, should I say, need to start with the egos. But I want to reflect on the point that Zach made because I think we need to open um, all sides to things. I, and I feel like if you're going to come at one person, you got to come at some other people who may be in the same boat. When we talk about Jordan Love, and how we may label him this bus, right? Because in practice and in many camps, for some reason, he looks so bad that he can't get on the football field. Okay, then if we go to Miami and we hear that Tua Togovaloa is throwing five interceptions in a mini camp practice and he came and still on the football field when given his opportunity, that we need to be worried about Tua as well. But it so happens that 
Zach actually believes in the Dolphins enough in a way le- way more competitive AFC East when you talk about the Bills and Josh Allen and his leaps, Bill Belichick, his revenge tour. But yet, Zach still believes in the Dolphins enough to snag a playoff berth, whether or not he's winning the division or not. So in the Green Bay Packers division, the NFC North, they have won. They only lost one game on the mat, the floor in that division. So even in a scenario where Aaron Rodgers is not there, I still give them a better shot to win that division than I would a Dolphins team led by Tua. If we're going to sit here and label bus guys and say who was busting up. I'll be back to respond after the commercial break. You are listening to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports. Welcome back to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports. We are back discussing and going deep into this Aaron Rodgers topic. And before the break, if you missed it, Will had a, a little bit of a question for me. He asked me, Zach, if you're going out here and saying Jordan Love can't play and the Packers uh, probably have to move on from him if they want any success in the near future. How are you going to say that? But then when you look at the Miami Dolphins, a team that I actually really like going into the season and their young quarterback, Tua Tugavailoa, he hasn't looked great uh, so far in minicamp. So the question on the table here, why do I favor one side over the other? And my response to that is this. Coaches' actions tell me a lot. And the way that organization and their actions It tells me a lot. And I believe in Brian Flores' mindset when he said, okay, we have the option to draft a quarterback with the number three over – they had the number three overall pick. They decided to trade it. But Brian Flores told me me by making that trade that he believes in the young quarterback, Tua. They also moved on from Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I think deep down, Brian Flores and the Dolphins organization believes in Tua as the starting quarterback. You look at the Packers and Jordan Love. I can't say the same. They're really out here trying to offer Aaron Rodgers, a guy who clearly doesn't want anything to do with that Packer organization. The Packers are offering him offering him a five-year deal to become the highest-paid quarterback in the league. Does that sound to you like they believe in Jordan Love? Not really. So I'm just going by organizations and their actions. I would just add on to that. Um, I'm not sure you can correct me if I'm wrong. The year before when Tua got drafted and he was a rookie going into that year, I'm not sure he even practiced a lot because of the the hip. Did he practice or am yeah, I bugging? Really. He didn't yeah. practice. So the Dolphins really didn't get to see during practice upon that season if Tua can play or not. What they did was they waited to the season when Ryan Fitzpatrick had that team with a winning record, and they said, you know what, let's see if this guy can play. The Packers were able to test out Jordan Love during practice, minicamp, and they had their assumptions, and they could evaluate if he was ready to dress or not. They clearly um, didn't think he was ready at that moment. We all know COVID. That goes for Tua as well. But, um, yeah, so they didn't get to look at Tua and say, oh, he was a bust. He can't dress. He wasn't practicing. So they put him out there, and when they put him out there, what happened? They were, at one point, they were 6-3, and three, and then they had to start taking him out and putting Ryan Fitzpatrick in the game. He couldn't even stay. I mean, the way how he was playing out there, he couldn't even stay. And Ryan Fitzpatrick clearly was the better of the two quarterbacks. So my question, my concern is that, yeah, Jordan Love may be a bust. Hell, I'm not going to bat for him, but I'm not going to put so much emphasis, number one, on practice and minicamps because we all know some guys right. are better in the game than they are in practice in minicamps. That's a true. But I, I just hope it's clear. I just hope it's clear to you. That's not what I'm doing. I'm I'm basing this on the Packers, their organization, and their decisions that they're making when it comes to Jordan Love. Why couldn't Jordan Love be the backup quarterback last year? Why not? 
Look, like I said before, and I keep on saying it, it was the COVID era. He wasn't ready. Now they let him. Right now, you can't say the same thing now. He's getting all the reps right now. So the well, reps that he didn't get before, he's getting, he's getting it now. So my thing here is, if we're going to be worried about Jordan, no, we better be worried about Tua because Tua is in a harder division. I don't care if Aaron Rodgers don't come back. This division is wide open. Maybe you can argue, all right, the Vikings are the favorites to win it without Aaron Rodgers, but not the full-gone favorites because they've been having the best roster in that division for the last couple of years and still haven't shown me the ability to win close games. So either way, with Jordan Love or, God forbid, uh, Blake Bortles, Billy could throw the football, they are still in this division with or without Aaron Rodgers compared to some other situations where they have unproven quarterbacks like Tua Tagovailoa. Maybe this is just me, and maybe I'm just totally off here, but when, when I'm comparing these two guys, you know what the, the last argument I'm going to make? I watched two at Alabama, man, and this kid can make all the throws. And when I watched Jordan Love, you guys know the meme where um, it's like a, so you see something that's like a little blurry, and then you see the guy with the glasses who wipes it off, and it's clear, like that's who they're looking at. You know the meme I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I, I, think that, exactly. I, I think that's exactly uh, – what the Packers did with Jordan Love when they were evaluating him, I think they kind of looked at his film with, like, some blurry glasses and saw, like, a little bit of the things that Patrick Mahomes could do and were like, oh, okay, we'll draft this kid in the first round. But then when they really put their glasses on like they are in training camp right now, they realize the kid can't play and he's not any good. So we'll see uh, what his future holds in Green Bay. Tua, remember, Tua played in sweet home Alabama. Hey, where dreams come <laughs> true. That's where he played at. Just let you know. All the weapons. But, um, yeah, I think we knocked that horse down. Zay, you got any last words? No, nah, man, I just agree with both of you. I think I took all, like, every old information, that's it. And I think right now it's just a waiting game, you know. And I think – and I just go back to when – um, I, I know that means I have more to say now, but my bad. Uh, I, That goes back to when, um, you know, when Rodgers was sitting on the bench, when um, Brett Favre was out there, you know, scoring and doing all those things. You know, it took, like, three years, I believe, two, three seasons for Rodgers to actually get a starting nod and actually take, the like, the Green Bay Packers – Rain, so maybe that's the same thing with Jordan Love. Maybe Love needs to sit on the bench for a few years to get right and develop well, and then he get on the field and start, you know, doing well. And it, it sometimes it takes quarterbacks a couple of years to really get it right. Not every quarterback comes out of college and just starts throwing a ball. But unfortunately, in the football, if you don't come out the gate doing well, you know, you already marked as you know a bust. So let's see. Good point. Good point. Uh, I think that's going to be it for the segment. Obviously, a lot to say about Aaron Rodgers, a lot to say about the Green Bay Packers. Uh, like, I have gonna... a funny feeling we're going to be back at this segment at <laughs> some point because we've been back <laughs> at it for like, forever. Yeah, man. <laughs> we'll see what happens, man. I, I just have to say, man, like, as you mentioned to start off the, the segment, like, shout out to Aaron Rodgers for always giving us something to talk about. The night of the NFL draft, this guy's like, oh, all right, I'll just drop my name in the, in the center of attention, man. I, I love it. And I guess one last comment I will say. I do think the Packers were probably the ones that leaked this report to Schefter, just trying to think like, oh, how could we make Aaron Rodgers look bad? Probably didn't work, I mean, considering how all Packer fans feel about him. But we'll see, man. It's all a chess game. It, we'll all see what happens. But um, you are listening to In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports as we're moving on to the next segment. Will, you want to take it away? Introduce what we're doing with our head coaches list. Yes, sir. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you missed Monday's episode, we got a brand new list that we rolling out for the people to debate with us and get out our next at, which is our top 16 head coaches going into the 2021 season. So a couple weeks ago, we did quarterbacks. This week is the coaches. And uh, yeah, I went last week um, first. And I guess Zach is Zach's turn to go this week. So I'm going to pass over the rock to Zach to start us off. We did 16 to 11 on Monday. We're going to do 10 to 6 today. 
So, Zach, the floor is yours and the mic is yours. Let's do it. So just uh, in case anyone uh, missed my list from uh, Monday's episode, we counted down the 16th best coach in the league all the way to number 11. So I had Ron Rivera from the Washington football team at number 16, Mike Tomlin from the Steelers at number 15, Bruce Arians from the Bucks at 14, Matt LaFleur from the Pack at 13, Mike Vrabel from the Titans at 12, and Frank Reich from the Colts at 11. And let's get right into it. My top 10. My number 10 coach. I think this is a perfect example of a coach who hasn't accomplished much. He's only been a head coach for one season. But in that one season, man, I'll tell you, this guy showed me a lot. And he showed me that he could lead a team in the Cleveland Browns that have not done anything for our whole lifetime. And he got them to the playoffs. And my number 10 head coach is Kevin Stefanski. I mean, guys... I watched this guy in Minnesota, and he was only their offensive coordinator for one year, and it's not like Kirk Cousins looked great under him. So I was a little hesitant like with the, with the hire at first, but last year, this guy proved early that he is a smart, smart offensive mind. And I think Cleveland finally has some stability with a good GM in Andrew Berry, a good head coach in Kevin Stefanski, and if Baker Mayfield could just show me this year that he could take that a little bit of a next step. If he could lead this team a little bit further, and I'm not diminishing anything they did last year. It was a phenomenal season. He was the NFL coach of the year last year, rightfully so. I think his coaching job was incredible. Uh, and I would buy stock in Kevin Stefanski as a head, uh, as a top five NFL head coach for the next 20 years to come. I think this guy is an absolute stud. Once again, he's only been a coach for one year, and it was tough. And one more thing, people forget when the Cleveland Browns beat the Steelers in that playoff game, this guy wasn't even coaching. He was out with COVID, and still Cleveland found a way to win, and I think that has a lot to do with the culture this guy has installed in such a short period of time. We know Cleveland has never been a place where consistent winning in the NFL has taken place, and this guy comes in and makes Cleveland a place where uh, players want to go. We all remember what happened with Freddie Kitchens and that absolute abomination that that guy was as a head coach, and Kevin Stefanski obviously blows him out the window. I have him as my number 10 coach in the league. Uh, my number nine head coach, this is a guy that Will mentioned on his list the other day, and he said he was one of the harder guys to rank, and I agree 100%. Uh, Pete Carroll is my number nine head coach in the NFL, and I think it's a hard, hard comparison when you compare Pete Carroll to a guy like Kevin Stefanski or some of the other offensive minds in football just because he's been doing it for such a long time. But... At the same time, he has done a great job providing the Seahawks with some organizational stability. They were a team that before him and Russell Wilson got there, yeah, they got to a Super Bowl with Matty Hasselbeck and Mike Holmgren had a phenomenal run there, but I feel like they were never legitimate. And Pete Carroll did a great job bringing that team to the next step, obviously developing the Legion of Boom and the talent on that team. And he's just been a consistent winner, man. All this guy has done in the NFL is win. Uh, we'll see what he has up his sleeve this year. I think it's obviously a big year for Seattle, a big year for Russell Wilson. They have a lot to prove, but the excuses are getting low. They have a much better offensive line, obviously some weapons. Pete Carroll, my number nine head coach in the NFL. At number eight, Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills. I love what this guy has done since he's gotten to Buffalo. And I think this is another example, kind of like Cleveland. Sean McDermott is a guy who was a defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. He was a part of that Super Bowl team that, with Cam Newton. And he was a guy that was a head coaching candidate for a while, but he never really got an opportunity. And he finally gets an opportunity in Buffalo. And all of a sudden, in his first four years as Bill's head coach, he has these guys in the playoffs 
three times. And also, it's not that long ago when the Bills were out here starting Nathan Peterman at quarterback, and they looked lost. They looked like they were going to have to rebuild and be the worst team in the league. He nails the pick with Josh Allen. He's obviously developed him. He deserves a lot of credit for that. He has done a tremendous amount of winning in Buffalo. He is my number eight coach in the NFL. My number seven coach in the NFL, another guy that was on Will's list the other day. And I know there are going to be plenty of people that are telling me, Zach, you have this guy way too high. But Brian Flores, man, there is not much I can say about this guy and the job that he has done coming to Miami in such a short period of time. Will and I have debated on this for a while, but I loved how he didn't care about feelings last year when he handled his quarterback situation. He said, I'm going to play whatever quarterback gives me the best chance to win in whatever quarter, whatever game. I'll bench whoever I want. I just don't care about feelings. And it worked. The Dolphins really overachieved last year. They were one win away from getting to the playoffs when no one really expected them. That defense is a top five unit in football, and there aren't really a name that comes to mind when you're like, oh, who's their elite player? Yeah, they have Xavier Howard, but like, Realistically, does any average NFL fan like know who that guy is? Do they know who Andrew Van Ginkle is? Do they know who the uh, Eric Rowe? Like these guys are not the most talented players in the world. And Brian Flores has a whole locker room, a whole army of dudes ready to get on that field and fight for him. I love the attitude that he has done and the culture he has installed in Miami. He is my number seven head coach in the NFL, and my number six coach in the NFL right now is from the Baltimore Ravens, Coach John Harbaugh. This is another guy. I loved the work that he has done recently with Lamar Jackson. And there were plenty of people that coming out of Louisville, we know the story. They didn't believe in Lamar Jackson. They didn't know how his skill set as a quarterback would be able to translate to the NFL, especially in the era we're in. We see passing, 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 and more passing. But what I loved about Coach Harbaugh is that he decided to zig with Lamar Jackson while the rest of the league zagged, and he specifically built his offense around the power running game, and it's worked. The Ravens have done a great job winning a tremendous amount of ballgames the last couple of years, not to mention this guy has a Super Bowl ring uh, from his days with Joe Flacco. He has been the Ravens coach a long time now, at least since 2008. I love the job that he has done in Baltimore. So to recap, numbers 10 through 6 for me, Kevin Stefanski from the Browns at number 10, Pete Carroll from the Seahawks at number nine, Sean McDermott from the Bills at number eight, Brian Flores from the Dolphins at number seven, and John Harbaugh from the Ravens at six. Will, take it away. Um, first, before I start my list, I just want to make a comment on Brian Flores. I love the guy. He's from Brooklyn. I'm always going to be there for my Brooklyn Knights out here. We represented on this mic. We got two dudes on this mic from Brooklyn, myself and Zay. But, um, you know, I think you got him ranked a little bit too high to be honest with you. Number one, it was his first year as a coach. Number two, he didn't even make the playoffs yet. So I want to see if the guy could be able to make the playoffs this year and what steps he can take with two. I love what he's done so far. He's worthy of being in the top 15, but I think seven is just a little bit too high for me personally. But you can come back to that if you want later on. Um, so basically, y'all, in case y'all missed last week's episode, my coaching rankings has to do with these five categories, which is player development, X's and O's, resume, culture, and success. Last week, or last Monday, should I say, last show, rather, at number 15, I had uh, Mike Vrabel at number 16. At number 15, I had Brian Flores. At number 14, I had Mike Tomlin. At number 13, Ron Rivera. At number 12, I had Pete Carroll. Number 11, I had Frank Wright, which Zach also had at number 11. And where Zach 
has Kevin Skafanski at number 10 to start off my 10 through 6. I actually agree with Zach as well. Back to back, we're on the same page. I have Kevin Skafanski at number 10. First off, I want to tell everybody, I know he won Coach of the Year, but Coach of the Year doesn't make you the best coach in football. It's just your team had a great year. So I want to get that out the way, number one. And also, it's obvious that he walked into a situation where he had talent to work with. So it's one thing to be in a situation where you have no talent whatsoever and you have to make water, I mean, wine out of water. But he didn't have to do all that. The talent was there. The Cleveland Browns are probably the most talented roster in football. That's the easy part. The hard part was building a championship culture, building a competitive culture, which obviously is something that Cleveland did not have for over two decades. We're talking about losing. We're talking about just head cases, Johnny Manziel days. I mean, the list Josh Gordon can't stay off the substances days. I mean, it goes on and on and on with Cleveland for all the wrong reasons. He polished that up. Baker Mayfield talking all that yin yang yo in the media, all that garbage. He was talking about the unnecessary things. In the words of Denzel Washington, the little things, the little things, my brothers, the little things. He patched that up and he said, you know what? We're going to be known for winning football games. And that's exactly what he showed with that play action heavy offense. Won the football with your two running backs, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Make the game easier for your quarterback who had a career year in interceptions. We're going to cut that down, boy. We're going to cut that down from 21 to 8 this year. And um, the touchdown ratio is going to be even higher. So I have to credit um, Kevin Skafianski. My main thing here is going into this season, can Bacon Mayfield take that next leap? And can he incorporate Odell Beckham Jr., who is a talented wide receiver who needs his touches? Can he incorporate him and get him looks without going away from what they do best, which is one first and pass second? I have him at number 10. At number 9, I'm going to go with Matt LaFleur. And I said this before. I'm on the last show, and I hinted at it. I think a lot of people need to give this guy his credit. I know it's so hard to give him credit when you have Aaron Rodgers on the center. I get that. I know Zach had him pretty low. But um, when you talk about with Aaron Rodgers playing a full season in 2018, there was 6-9-1, losing record. And all of a sudden, they made two NFC Championship games. That's coaching right there. That's coaching. That's the definition of coaching. Um, since he's taken over, number one, Green Bay in year two led the NFL in scoring. The Packers have been 11-1 in their division under Matt LaFleur. Control your division. You can have a great chance of competing in the playoffs. Obviously, that was the case. Um, ball, can, ball security, controlling the possessions, that's big things that Matt LaFleur takes pride in. Aaron Rodgers always been a guy who protected the ball for the most part. But he always made that a conservative effort in his offense to protect the ball, control the time of possession. They are 19-1, I believe. 19-0, actually, under LaFleur when they win the turnover margin. So that tells you a lot about the coaching in that retrospect right there. The big thing here is, is obviously Aaron Rodgers. We talked about it, his future with the Packers. In a scenario where Jordan Love is a starter, can he take Jordan Love and make the game easier for Jordan Love with that talented roster that's still being contested in that NFC North, we have yet to see. I have Matt LaFleur at number nine, head coach of the Green Bay Packers, and right now the Green Bay Slackers because they're without, without Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers without them. At number eight, I think Zach is underrating this guy too. And I'm going to tell you all the reasons why. At number eight, I'm going to go with Bruce Arians, Mr. No Risk It, No Biscuit himself. I'll say this. 
and Bruce Arians don't get the credit that he deserves for that Super Bowl run. And I'm a Tom Brady fan. You see Tom Brady on the wall. Anybody who know me know by now Tom Brady is my favorite athlete of all time. And for me to say that, it has to be a reason why. And the reason why is because, number one, before the season even started, the no risk it, no biscuit mentality was foregone during free agency. Obviously, Tom Brady, the GOAT, I thought more teams should have been in the Tom Brady free agency frenzy. Trying to get a call, at least an interview, a workout with Tom Brady. Obviously, not a workout. Take that back because of COVID restrictions. But at least give Tom Brady a luck, a call, something, right? He's the GOAT for all we for all we know in the stats show. His resume speaks for itself. Bruce Arians was one of those coaches that said, you know what? I'm going to take that risk. I believe in him. I believe in my coaching ability. I believe that's going to be a right fit. So he, he right there did a lot just by that move. But also, we get to the season... And just that no risk and no biscuit mentality. It outcoached um, Matt LaFleur's system. We talk about Matt LaFleur being the higher, you know, coach or the better, better coach out the two. And his team obviously looked better. But Bruce Arians technically outcoached Matt LaFleur in that game. Especially when you talk about that Scotty Miller play. I always revert to that. No coach would have made that move to put the Green Bay Packers out of their misery. And they needed all the points they needed because the Packers ended up coming back. So that play right there was the crucial part in why the Buccaneers are Super Bowl champions. No other coach would have done it. Bruce Arians is that guy that takes the risk. Not to mention Carson Palmer had his best year under Bruce Arians. Not to mention Jameis Winston threw for the most yards and touchdowns for Bruce Arians. Oh, Lil, you're forgetting one thing. You forgot about the interceptions, right? Well, when you look at Jameis Winston of Florida State, interceptions was always his problem. So we, you know, it just transferred over to cop. To the, to, the, to the NFL game, right? But look, also, just how he's revolutionizing the game before we even give him that credit of revolutionizing the coaching game. Saying that I don't have to coach every day. I can lay back and put a great team around me in Todd Bowles and Byron Letwich and hire women on my coaching staff and be and have the, the most diverse coaching staff there is in the NFL. That's revolutionizing the coaching game. And that's exactly what we need with these stubborn-ass head coaches and GMs out here. So that's the reason why I believe he needs his credit and his due diligence. Um, And yeah, just that no risk and no biscuit mentality. You need that from a team who just won the Super Bowl. This is a team that's going to go in next year comfortable. We won. We reached the mountaintop. Bruce Arians is the right coach you need to say, you know what? Be the hunter, not the hunted, which he said throughout the offseason. And that's why the Buccaneers are in good hands. At number seven, and the culture too. Can't forget about the culture. Culture right now in, in Tampa Bay is good. At number seven, I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan, Mr. Shanahan. Innovative offensive mind. Great player designer. Great X's and O guy on the offense. Um, Look, I'm not the biggest fan in losing big, significant leads in the Super Bowl. And that has to be a stain under his resume. Whether it was... Him being the offensive coordinator with the Falcons. Whether it was last year, debacle, we all know Jimmy G make a couple throws. They probably would have won that game too. But um, the, the I'm not a fan of that. You have to win the big games. I'm also, his record is not appealing at all since he's been coaching. Losing record, 6-10 first year. 4-12 second year. 13-3, the year they made the Super Bowl. Third year. Fourth year, obviously, we all know what happened. With COVID and the injuries, he went 6-10. So even though I could add context, to those losing seasons and say 
well, the first year you was rolling with Colin Kaepernick and Blaine Grabbit, and the next year Jimmy G got hurt, and and um the six to ten year was the COVID restrictions. Like I keep saying, you all with your resume off. So even though I can make excuses for you and I could go to bad for you, you still have a losing record, and that's why I can't put you over other coaches in the league. But obviously, we all know he's a great coach. We all know he's an X's and O's guy. And we all know watching him with the eye test, he makes the game easier for his quarterback. We're not going to sit here and act like Trey Lance is not a gamble. This guy is from North Dakota State. That's a big gamble. Drafting him with that number three overall pick. We'll see if that trick that Kyle Shanahan had up his sleeve will pay dividends um, next year or in the future whenever he decides to incorporate him on the center. So I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan at number seven for me. And to close out my list, I'm going to go with Sean McDormand from Buffalo head coach. When you talk about a culture change, that's one of the things I pride myself on when ranking these quarterbacks or, or these coaches rather. You know, look no further than the Bills Mafia territory. Under Rex Ryan, they had no order. Even Sammy Watkins said, get on to the players, yell at them, do something. Just don't be scared of the players. They had a bunch of, how can I say, guys, questionable guys on that team under Rex Ryan. No control whatsoever. Sean McDermott said, you know what, I'm going to go there. We're going to drain all that garbage out the swamp. And we're going to add a new coaching staff. And we're going to add a new culture here with Buffalo. And that's exactly what they did. They built their team through free agency, through the draft. Um, what can I start when it comes to Josh Allen's development? From year one to year two to year three, took off. And obviously, we all know he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league today. That has to do with, number one, the culture shift. And number two, obviously, making the game easier for your quarterback. Sean McDermott has 23 wins over the past two seasons, or the most for any coach in a two-year span since 1992 and 1993. Um, also, when you talk about my one pet peeve that I have with Sean McDermott is the fact that he isn't as aggressive is I think he need to be. When you talk about that AFC Championship game against the Chiefs, there were two times in the red zone when I felt that they should have went for it, they kicked field goals. That's not how you beat in the Kansas City Chiefs. So hopefully he learns from that going forward. I like the Bills. I think they're going to be a great team. I think they're going to win their division once again this upcoming season. And all credit has to go to Sean McDermott along with the GM, along with obviously making the moves that they made, getting Stephon Dix. That was the move. That was the best move of free agency last year. That got them to where they got them. So I have to give him that number six slot. So to recap my list here, at number 10, I'm going to go Kyle Shanahan. At number nine, I'm going to go Matt LaFleur. At number eight, I'm going to go Bruce Arians. At number seven, I'm going to go Kyle Shanahan. And number six, to cap off my list, I'm going to go with Sean McDermott. Isaiah, we'll throw it over to you. You see our list, uh, 10 to 6. Anything stand out on either side? I'm actually surprised that um, – I actually wanted to ask you guys a question. When when was the last time you would say, like, a coach that won a championship was, wasn't was a top five coach in the NFL going into the next season with, like, Bruce Arians going back? I mean, I know it's, like, a thing, but I just I, – I, I was shocked I was shocked by that and uh, Sean McDermott on Lil's list. I thought uh, Sean McDermott is, like, an excellent coach. I thought he was possibly – would have been top five or even top four on your list. Um, if, when you look at how McDermott changed the entire culture of Buffalo and how they, they kind of became like a winning a winning sensation overnight in a sense. Like you, we replaced 
Mike Ryan with McDermott, and you just saw like a, an entire culture change of a disciplined football team that we haven't been, we haven't seen in Buffalo in a very long time. I answered the Sean McDermott, Zach. If you want to answer the Bruce Arians, since I just left off with Sean McDermott, I'll just go ahead right there and say that um, when it comes to Sean McDermott, I mean six is not too far from five. I mean it's literally he's borderline top five. You know, one slot up, he's top five. I agree. What he did with the with the Bills and just changing that culture, the Bills being a losing franchise, all the credit goes to him. I just feel like I have five coaches that I feel like that on paper, X's and O's and everything, they check all the boxes. So the guys in my top five checks at least four out of the five boxes. I can say Sean McDermott is close to checking all the boxes, but not quite there yet in some departments. Zach, I'll let you take over. Yeah, so I had Sean McDermott at eight just to comment on that. I think he's obviously done a great job with Buffalo. Once again, he's gotten that team to the playoffs three times in the last four years when they really couldn't make the playoffs, couldn't really sniff the playoffs before he got there. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, and at the same time, he did a good job in the playoffs this year. Like He won two playoff games. Before this season, he was 0-2. And I feel like he proved like if you give him the right talent, he can win football games. The reason why I had him at eight it's kind of similar to what Wilson. Like, I just no, I just think there are a couple coaches better. Like, like I'm not trying to throw any dirt or shade at him. Like, um, but at the same time, like, I think he's capable of eventually one day leading this Bills team to a Super Bowl. And if he does that, like, he could be in the top five. Um, I, I just think, like, considering where he's gotten the Bills, um, that's why he's in the top ten, and he could only go up from here. He's only been their coach for four years, and it's only going to be his second year with like legit talent good enough to do some significant damage. When it comes to Bruce Arians, I mean, the, what the great thing about the NFL is, like, last year, if we did this list, it would look totally different. I'm sure there would have been plenty of guys we would have had higher or lower uh, than we do right now. And look, I mean, maybe I'm just – I can't believe I'm going to say this. Maybe I'm just like, well, maybe I'm just a Brady guy. When I think of the way Tampa Bay won that championship and the way that Tom Brady came in and instantly changed that culture, like – I just can't get out of my head. And last year, we had Tom Brady and Bruce Arians in the regular season. Clearly, they weren't on the same page. And I think that Tom Brady just said, look, this guy's the coach. I guess I'll just do what you know I have to do and go for it. But, like, I don't know. I don't think Bruce Arians was the main reason why that team won the Super Bowl. He has a lot of assistant coaches to go with him. And he was the coach of Tampa Bay with Jameis. They went 7-9. and nine, And then Tom Brady comes in and, bang, that team just becomes Super Bowl champs. So, like... I I had him in my top 15. I just think right now at this point in his career, and I, I don't know if you guys have ever, ever uh, heard anyone say this about a coach, I think Bruce Arians is past his prime as a coach, and the GOAT is the main reason Tampa Bay won last year. I really believe that. I would say this. To go ex to go against Zach Point a little bit, I think Bruce Arians definitely should be in the top 10, for sure. No doubt about it. Top 5, I won't go that far. Top 10, I would. And the reason why is because before, there was an episode that we had right after the Super Bowl was over. Um, I think we took two weeks off after the Super Bowl, and we got back into the to the end of huddle flow, flow. And one of the questions that we had, I remember it daily, was how much percent we have to give Bruce Arians for that Super Bowl win. And I actually had a higher percentage than Zach. So I always felt this way, watching the Bucks, that Bruce Arians deserved credit, a lot of credit. Maybe not the full credit, but a lot, simply because of just the coaching staff that he put. Just putting guys in places to be successful. When the NFL is having a diversity issue when it comes to coaching 
and you put them in front of the Super Bowl, having two black offensive and defensive coordinators and some females in there to show their coaching genius, that can only set them up in the future. Now, Todd Bowles is going to have an interview. He should have had one this year. Brian Leverich is probably going to have an interview for a head coaching job. So how can you, one of my main things with coaches is who are you breeding? Like, who are you bringing up with you? Who's going to be your underparts? Bill Belichick, we all know. Joe Judge, the list goes on. Brian Flores. Um, Bruce Arians is going to have those guys in Todd Bowles and obviously um, Brian will leverage in the future. So um, also, too, um, this point just left my, my, my mind. So I'm probably just going to have to let that swing by because it just left my mind, the point that I was going to make. But just his, his mentality. He has the right mentality to install in those players, which is to go get it. It's not going to come to you. No risk it, no biscuit. Go for every yard. The game is not over. Even if you up by a, 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 by a touchdown at halftime and you still have the ball at midfield, we're going to take the shots because, number one, we might get a Hail Mary or we might get a P.I. Points are not mistaken with Bruce Samuels. He wants all the points he can get. All right. Uh, one last question about um, Kyle Shanahan. You know, as you alluded to, he did have four uh, losing seasons the past four seasons. And do you feel like his time is actually coming up to, like, you know, be on a hot seat with losing seasons that he has a amassed over the last couple of years yeah i would say this oh go ahead i i don't think kyle shanahan's gonna be on the hot seat anytime soon and if he gets fired he'll get hired in a second i think this guy is an absolute genius i think he knows how to scheme others into the right position to succeed and will just mentioned it man part of a part of judging a head coach and a successful head coach is look at their undercards look at what their other guys have done and look at kyle shanahan like Robert Sala just got hired. The Jets are literally using that same offense. Coach LaFleur. The Packers are using that same offense. The Rams run a similar offensive scheme. How many teams in football are doing exactly what Kyle Shanahan is doing, putting men in motion and scheming guys open? That West Coast offense is insane. And I agree with Lil. Like, he eventually is going to have to win a big game. But at the same time, that Super Bowl against Kansas City, one, if Jimmy Garoppolo can make a couple throws, they win the game. And two, I just think that Chiefs team was too good. There aren't a lot of coaches that um, – you know, could have done anything different in order to stop Patrick Mahomes. He was just on another level that night. As for the Falcon game, 28 to three, no real excuse there. It was a terrible performance, but you just got to hope he's moved on. It's four years ago. He's an offensive coordinator. He has done a great job with John Lynch instilling the culture in San Francisco. Clearly you guys have mentioned, I haven't mentioned him yet. He will, will be on my uh, list next week. I'm a big Kyle Shanahan believer. Uh, I think he's one of the five best coaches in football. I really do. I mean, the Falcons are still choking to this day. So, I mean, to be honest with you, I think it's bigger than the Shanahan problem. Right, right. Look what, look what the, that's a good point, Lil. That Look what the Falcons have done since he's left. Absolutely. Fuckus. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think we might as well get on to the superlative. Zach, I'll pass this over to you. Yeah, moving on to the next segment within the coaching tree, the coaching topic that we will be discussing. Last week, if you missed it, the question that we had on the table was which coach was under the most pressure this season. I said uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Will said Mike McCarthy. So the next superlative we are going to have today is in the topic of first-year coaches. And when you look at some of the first-year coaches in the NFL, we have a lot of names from Urban Meyer to Robert Sala to Arthur uh, Smith of the Falcons um, to David Culley of the Houston Texans. Uh, so many names. And the question that we have on the table is which first-year coach are you the most confident in? Which first-year coach should we believe in the most? Will, I believe I answered first last week, so I'll throw it over to you to start this one off. The coach that I probably would believe in the most, the first-year coach that is, 
going into 2021 has to be Brandon Staley, head coach of the Chargers. And the reason why is because I don't think – I'm not going to sit here and say he's probably going to be the best coach in the next five, six years other than these other coaches that we have here as possible nominees, but he's in the right situation to win right now. When you have Justin Herbert as your quarterback and you have a loaded roster, you are in a better situation. Part of instant success is having the right opportunity placed right to you. And the other guys kind of got to play the long game here. So when you talk about game management, that was one thing that the Chargers was missing last year. They were in a lot of close games, and they lost a lot of close games. It seemed like every close game they was in, they lost. That's game management. All you need to do as a coach is get your team more disciplined and ready to win close games. So if you can polish the game management, we all know he's a defensive guy. He's a defensive-minded guy. Also has experience on the offenses, offensive side of the ball. You talk about the Rams that year. I believe it was which year was it? 2019. Um, they was ranked number. They was ranked number 13, and then 2020 they was ranked number one on the defensive side of the ball. Justin Herbert is going to have a great year. That offense is going to have a great year. I believe they're going to make the playoffs. Right now, I'm going back in my mind if I really want to go the extra mile. Um, where the high hopes that I have for this Charger team, but I'm going to hold off on that for right now. But they will make the playoffs, and Brandon Saley is just a guy that is in the best situation right now to succeed right off the bat. Yeah, so kind of in a similar way to last week, there were two guys that uh, came to mind for me to answer this topic. Brandon Staley was obviously one of them. I kind of figured you were going to pick one of the two guys I had in mind. But a couple comments on Staley. So what I like about him is that if you follow the trajectory of his career and what it takes to be an NFL head coach, right? Usually you got to be in the office for a long time, right? You got to be staffed an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and you just have to show your success for a sustained amount of time. The thing about Staley is he was brought into the league by Vic Fangio, currently the coach of Denver. But when uh, Fangio was the defensive coordinator in Chicago, he brings in Staley to be his linebacker coach. And that told me, like, right off the bat, he's bringing in this random guy. I believe Staley's from, like, a D3 college. Like, he's bringing in this random guy to be his linebacker coach. And if you know Vic Fangio, we know how serious he is about his linebackers. And then he gets to the Rams. McVay steals him from Fangio. And I'll tell you what, when McVay hired him before the 2020 season, I don't think that he expected him to be gone after one season. And that just shows the work that he was able to do with the Los Angeles Rams and that team. Now, with the Chargers, I agree 100%. He's in a great situation to succeed. And they're, you know, it's going to take some time. There are always some... Uh, adjustments uh, that go to into being a head coach. But I think this guy is pretty smart. I think he's in a good spot. Obviously, that's not all uh, what comes into being a head coach. But I, I do like that pick, Will, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what the Chargers do going forward. And that was a guy I definitely had in mind uh, for this answer. But the guy that I'm going to go with, and it just feels so great for me to say this, I mean, Coach Sal of, of the New York Jets and the guy that this, that this guy, man, like – it's funny. We talk about uh, Kyle Shanahan and everything that he's done in San Francisco. I will never forget early, early in the 2019 season, that season uh, when the 49ers made it to the Super Bowl, and they had a game against the Rams when Todd Gurley was still in his prime, and the 49ers, they had like a young Nick Bosa, they had a good defensive line, but at the time, the Rams were the team that just made the Super Bowl. They were the team everyone knew, and no one really knew about the 49ers yet, and the 49ers stopped the Rams four straight times 
from fourth and goal at the one-yard line. And all of a sudden, after the fourth stop, I see this guy on the 49ers sideline with veins popping out of his head, going absolutely bonkers, thinking it was him that just made that stop and thinking that that was the guy that just tackled Todd Gurley four straight times. And the players were going nuts. And I said, you know what? That's the guy that I want coaching my football team because that's a guy that players want to play for, which the New York Jets have not had in a very long time. And when you combine that with Joe Douglas and all of the moves that he's made so far this offseason, bringing in a guy like Zach Wilson, I know he hasn't played a snap yet, and who knows what he's going to be, but I'll tell you guys, man, I watched this kid and some of the throws that this kid can make, it's special. They're throws that not everyone else can make. And I think when you combine that and the weapons that uh, Joe Douglas brought in combined with the energy of Coach Sala, I'm excited to be a Jet fan. It's going to take some time, obviously, but I think for the first time in a while, Coach Sala could be a guy to provide some optimism around this franchise. And you guys know I'm a Jet guy. I'm really not trying to be biased here. I'm try- I'm, I always keep it real with you guys. I'm trying to be as realistic as possible. But for me, I think for the first time in a while, Our New York Jets, they're finally showing some optimism. They're going in the right direction, and it starts with that guy at the the top with the veins popping out of his heads. We need a guy like that who the players want to play for. Coach Sala is the first-year coach, I believe, in the most. It was the head that attracted Zach, okay? He was that big head (laughs) that that brother had. But, yeah, that's a good pick. I would have went with him. I was debating if I wanted to go with him or not. But go ahead, um, Zay. Hey, man, listen, uh, Ben Estelli, McVay guy. Assistant coach with McVay, you know you you can't go wrong if McVay picks as an assistant coach. I I trust that McVay making the right coaches. And I feel like for the Chargers, that's a great pickup. You know, a young quarterback, um, a pretty stout defense the Chargers have, and then a defensive guy who did well on every team he was on defensively, um, boosting their like rankings. He hopefully goes to the Chargers and makes him possibly one of the better, if not one of the best def- defenses in the AFC or even in the NFL. There's a possibility there depending on how they play injuries and, you know, so on and so forth. But that's a team that you could look at. And the Jets, hey, like, if everything goes correct with the Jets, you know, they could possibly go be the second in their division. You know, if everything goes correctly, if the quarterback that we have in um, Wilson becomes something we didn't expect him to be, something better than most, you know, I'm just a over-optimistic Jets fan. So if something, if something great along the line happens, you can see a, a Jets team potentially going second. I just feel like the Bills will be the number one team in that division until uh, further notice. Um, people are saying, like analysts are trying to debate that the Patriots could take over in that division. I just don't see it yet. I don't see how they, they will do it. But um, this upcoming season, I guess they'll let us know. But, you know, even after all the scrutiny the media has given them, Urban Myers Jaguars still have a pretty – talented team you know Aaron Meyer himself has a lot there's a lot going on over there in um, Jacksonville so we don't know what's going like we don't know what's going to happen when the season starts and if they're going to play well under him but they have a pretty talented team especially James Robinson um he had a pretty interesting season you know a thousand yards producing as a rookie with seven touchdowns you know he caught for 344 yards with three touchdowns and then he had a pretty interesting you know um receiver corp and DJ Chalk you know he had a pretty good season as well um Trevor Lawrence coming in, coming into the NFL, you know, let's see if he becomes his big stout quarterback that he was in college in Clemson. So um, I'm interested to see how Evan Myers coaches this team, especially with all the draft picks. Like, I think they drafted, what, 11 people, 12? Uh, they drafted a lot of people. And there's a lot of talent on that Jacksonville team. And I want to see if Urban Meyer could craft something to, to put everybody in play and hope, hopefully potentially um, make some noise in the, um, in the NFL. Um, I would just say this to close out. 
Um, Robert Cielo, bro. I'm not even a Jets fan. I'm in New York, so you know, at one point, I'm not gonna lie. Matter of fact, I'll break this information here on in the huddle. Yes, I know y'all gonna laugh at this, but at one point, I was a Patriots fan and a Jets fan at the same time. Two teams <laughs> in the same division. I thought I see Zach face. I could. That was when I was young. And we're starting to learn that that is not possible. That cannot happen, having two teams that you're a fan of in the same exact division. So once I realized and I sat there, I'm like, oh, that can't be right. I had to roll with my dude, Tom Brady. So, yeah. So there's a mutual um, a mutual feeling when it comes to the Jets that um, there's an excitement in New York, and they should be. Like I said before, I told everybody, Zach Wilson is the truth. All right, y'all can trust my resume. I'm not always 100% all the time. But most of the time I am when it comes to these quarterbacks, I saw something in Zach Wilson that I don't see from a lot of these quarterbacks out this draft class. Also, I love the hire of Robert Sela. I think he fits the Jets' mode. And to get them on the right track, I think he will do just that. Maybe not this year. There will be some shades. There will be games that they're probably going to win that's going to surprise some folks. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. probably going to fall short. But they're going to build on to something for the next couple years to come. Absolutely. And just for me as a fan, it's it's an exciting time. And it's the first time in a while that we're going to have a head coach, a quarterback, and a GM that we all actually feel very good about. It's been a while. I'm excited. And boys, just from this episode today, I have to say with the NBA finals over, as much as we love basketball, you know, football season is coming. And for me, one of my favorites, uh, favorite events of the year is coming up, the NBA draft. I know we're going to be talking about that a lot on this show. You guys know I'll be all over that. I cannot wait. And uh, another great episode recording with you guys. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good day. And once again, another episode chefed up by the chefs in the kitchen. <laughs> now you're